Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it is Sunday, the 23rd of April in the year 2023. And I hope wherever you are around Australia and indeed around the world, you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. And a huge shout out to all the new listeners that we have picked up for the week on Wednesday over the course of the last week. The week on Wednesday this week was a record for the week on Wednesday. More people have downloaded uh, the latest episode where Van and I talk about uh, Dutton and his uh, demolition of the Liberal Party. Uh, We talk about Bill Shorten's appearance at uh, the press club and the rebooting of the NDIS. And of course, talk about the new electric vehicle strategy for Australia. Then any episode that we've uh, put out. It's been a rapid success. So if you're listening to your first weekend wrap on the back of this week's week on Wednesday, welcome. This is going to be about 30 minutes of me talking to you about some of the issues that have cropped up over the course of the last week. Now, of course, on Wednesday, Van had a particularly busy day because she was also on the drum. Now, For those who haven't seen Van's appearance on the drum, I urge you to check it out. There's a very heartfelt uh, and touching tribute to Father Bob, someone who Van and I knew quite well, uh, me through many years of work uh, in the past, uh, and then again uh, socially uh, when uh, Bob was going to be the celebrant at our wedding, which was postponed due to COVID, and Van through many anti-poverty actions and activities and campaigns over the years. Uh, Van and I, of course, both have advocated in the past to raise uh, the rate of what was then Newstart and then more recently Job Seeker. And we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly because it did come up on Insiders uh, and has been a topic of conversation. But Van's appearance on the drum has apparently sparked some controversy with some people who were perturbed to see a copy of her book, QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, in the background. Van used uh, my computer, uh, my desk, uh, and the study which I work from to do the drum broadcast. It was broadcast from our home. Uh, And I keep that book there because I am incredibly proud of my wife and the work that she has done. And that book is a bestseller and is now once again a bestseller. Now, people have uh, said this was inappropriate, but many people have said, good on Van. In fact, many people have said that they have done the same thing and it just hasn't been picked up. It ended up being written about in The Age, uh, and I was mentioned and because, of course, I'm the one who put the book there. It's in my study, uh, and I didn't think to move it. I wouldn't move it. Why would I? Uh, And neither did, of course, the producers at the ABC ask Van to move it. I think that's an important point. And I raise it partly because there's been this sort of weird conversation going on, particularly in social media, but also in the age, uh, but also because uh, Peter Van Onselen, who was a guest on Insiders today, wore a hoodie uh, advertising a show that is on Foxtel, uh, which, of course, is owned by the same uh, family business, if I can call the Murdochs that, that, uh, that own The Australian, for which he writes. Uh, so it's a very, uh, very interesting kind of thing. We should be very conscious that people have been doing this for a long time. Most 
uh, people who, who have written a book have that on their shelves when they're on video conferences. Uh, and I have my wife's because I have never written a book, but my wife has written a book. It's very interesting. It's about QAnon uh, and it's well worth reading. Of course, Van's appearance on the drum uh, also uh, resulted in an absolute uh, cavalcade, an absolute avalanche of uh, abuse uh, and uh, attacks from self-appointed advocates in the welfare space. And I use the word welfare because, quite frankly, they are self-appointed welfare advocates. They are not... Uh, they are not uh, about helping people find work. They are not interested in the social wage. They are not interested in the social safety net. Uh, Van made the point on the drum, and I'll reiterate it here, which is that at a time when unemployment is incredibly low, when there are labour shortages around the country, that simply increasing the job seeker payments by 20 or 50%, as some people have advocated for, is not necessarily the solution to the problem. And in fact, is not a Keynesian solution. Van said uh, simply handing out cash and letting people fight it out in the market is a neoliberal solution. And that is, by the way, the case. If you just if your entire welfare policy, your entire social safety net, your entire social wage is just about handing out cash, that is that is embracing a neoliberal market-based model. That is saying to people, here is an amount of money. Now you go out into the market and you find housing and you find healthcare and you find uh, food and transport. Uh, and in the same time, you've only got that small amount of money uh, to do all those things. You've got to find a job. That is actually the very definition of uh, neoliberal market-based economics, right? So people have criticised Van around that, um, but let's be really clear here. That is, those criticisms are not real or genuine. They are entirely about attacking Van. And quite frankly, Van's not the only person these people attack. They've also attacked the treasurer. They've attacked uh, the ministers. They've attacked uh, the minister for finance. They've gone after other people who advocate for a more nuanced approach to the social wage. And by a nuanced approach, I mean, yes, you might increase the rate of job seeker by some amount. I mean, we've had uh, CPI go up 7%, so you would think that there would be some increase for that. And by the way, Labor has increased Job Seeker since it was elected. There has been an increase in Job Seeker. Uh, the question now is about whether or not there should be more of an increase and how much that increase should be. But also, there are other things uh, in the social wage, in the social safety net that need to be considered. So, people have raised the issue that 40% of people on Job Seeker. Uh, have a disability uh, and, in fact, may not be able to work full-time. Well, that suggests to me that we need to review the eligibility criteria for things like the disability support pension. We need to review the requirements put on job seekers to ensure that they are looking for work that is appropriate and that suits their needs. So if someone has a disability and wants to work part-time and that's what their capability uh, allows for, then that should be taken into account. 
because it's important to remember that there are many people in the disability space, advocates in the disability space, who quite frankly make the opposite point to some of these self-appointed advocates around job seeker, because the point that they make is that people with a disability want to work. They want to participate in the economic systems that we have because they see the opportunity to improve their lives and the lives of their families. And then, in fact, there are systemic barriers to their participation, that there is discrimination in the way of their participation. And I think it's very interesting that somehow or another the self-appointed job seeker police uh, are saying that job seekers should be raised because 40% of people on job seeker have a disability. What they're not saying is that the eligibility requirements should be reviewed, that the systemic barriers for people with a disability should be addressed, that the discrimination that occurs in workplaces needs to be addressed. And I make that point on the back of, on Insiders Today, one of the guests, as their final thought, pointed out that as part of the RBA review, which has also happened this week, the review found that junior employees at the RBA didn't feel able to speak up. Junior employees in the public service around robo-debt didn't feel able to speak up. We know that discrimination happens in workplaces where there isn't a strong union presence. We know that junior employees are unable to speak up when there is not strong union presence. Joining your union is fundamentally, fundamentally a part of addressing some of the systemic barriers that all people can end up facing if they acquire a disability, as they get older, if they happen to be from a minority group of some kind or another. You can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow. I'd encourage you to do that right now as we go through the podcast. You can do it online, anytime, whatever your industry you're in. But of course, the self-appointed advocates who have spent days and days, not just of this week, but of many weeks in the past, not just attacking them, but attacking many women, in particular women, sometimes men, but particularly women, who have dared to say that there is nuance in the way that we reform policy. You know, they have mentioned, for example, that older workers who are on JobSeeker, who have been long-term unemployed, face discrimination. And yet they have not, they have not suggested that, as is the case in many other countries, perhaps some of those older workers should be transitioned on to the age pension. Perhaps they should be given additional supports. Perhaps there should be programs in place to encourage both government and private sector employers to take on older workers by both encouraging upskilling and providing uh, wage subsidies. These are all things that can and do occur in some places. Of course, we know that two years out of the workforce is a long time and a lot changes over that time. Think about the last two years in your workplace and what has changed, the use of video conferencing, the use of uh, things like Slack, even the way email operates has changed over the last two years and will continue to change. There's no question about that. But I think it's very interesting that these self-appointed advocates attack, viciously attack people online, viciously attack members of the government that has already increased job seeker, that is talking about what else it can do to support the lowest income households. We had Jim Chalmers on the ABC 730 this week talking about 
utility bill relief. What did that end up eliciting? More abuse from these so-called self-appointed advocates. We've had just this very day uh, the Minister for Finance, Katie Gallagher, on Insiders, the ABC's flagship program talking about politics, talking about what they want to do around housing, improving both the supply of affordable housing, but potentially also increasing rent assistance. Now, of course, rents have gone up massively. Increasing rent assistance is a good targeted approach to relieving some of the cost of living faced by those who are genuinely looking for work. And this is what it boils down to, isn't it, really? That there are people who are genuinely looking for work who need more assistance. And then there are people who are being, whether they are themselves self-appointed advocates or whether they simply do not want to work and subscribe to this idea that somehow or another the job seeker payment should be some form of universal basic income that simply supports them to do whatever else they want to do. If you're not a job seeker, you shouldn't be on job seeker allowance. I fully agree with that statement, by the way. You know, if you uh, have disabilities that prevent you from working, then you should be able to access the disability support pension. There's no question about that in my mind. If you are a single parent and the barriers for you to participate in the workforce mean that you're not looking for work because you're caring for children, absolutely support you accessing single parent pension. And by the way, by the way, the Labor government has indicated that it is considering how to make adjustments to the single parent pension in order to facilitate more people being on that payment as opposed to the job seeker as well. These are all nuances of policy that get lost in the vitriolic abuse that self-appointed advocates throw at people. And what's interesting about this is that it's vitriolic abuse that actually is counterproductive. It's counterproductive. There is video footage of me arguing to raise the rate of New Start, which of course was the uh, previous incarnation of Job Seeker. There are articles uh, where I, in my own name, were critical of uh, Morrison ministers for their moralising about the unemployed, suggesting that people who are unemployed were somehow morally uh, not as Australian or morally inferior to those people who had work, where I criticised Christian Porter for that kind of moralising about the unemployed. I have been unemployed. I have relied on government support payments, as has my wife, as has many people that we know. The point is that support for increasing job seeker in a poll that was released today is less than half the population, whereas support for single parents, support for women in particular, is up above 60%. Now, we believe, firmly believe, in full employment policy, and Van talks about it on the week on Wednesday often. Now, when we say full employment policy, I want to be really clear about this because some of the self-appointed advocates online who seem to think a torrent of abuse is a campaign do not seem to understand what we mean by full employment policy. 
we mean that every person who wants a job should have a job. We mean that government has a proactive responsibility in both creating and matching people to jobs. We mean that supports are put in place to make that happen. So, for example, we live, as the country now knows, thanks to the drum, in Ballarat, a city where there is approximately 1,700 people on JobSeeker. At the same time, there's approximately 1,350 jobs being advertised online. That doesn't include jobs where there's just a sign in the shop window or there's a cafe that has uh, got something up behind the counter looking for staff. Now, at any given time, there will be some people who are unemployed who do want a job, even with full employment policy, because they're moving between jobs, they're in seasonal work. We know people, for example, who are shearers, and their work is seasonal and they move around the country following the work. And sometimes there is no work because they are shearers. Now, full employment policy is not about not about forcibly picking people up and moving them to the regions or moving them to different parts of the city. And I understand that some of the policies of the past where people have been punished, have been punished because they have chosen to move somewhere and some government algorithm back in the bad old days of robo-debt has said that's a higher unemployment area, you shouldn't uh, be looking for work there because of whatever. Even if that's a place where a relative has given them a home and given them a house of their own to live in and, in fact, improved their overall material circumstances, I understand that people would be suspicious about that. That is not what full employment policy is. What full employment policy is, is it's saying that for everyone who wants to work, government has a responsibility to create jobs and to match people to jobs and to put in place those supports that will help them get those jobs that they want. So yes, there might be housing relocation expenses that you would have some support for from government. There might be transport expenses that you would have some support for from government. There might be childcare expenses that you would have some support for from government. These are the nuances that make up our social safety net or what we call the social wage. Fundamentally, it is a nuanced series of policy programs and levers that have to be pulled. Yes, there's a skills and training component. Yes, there is a component where you have to actually be looking for work. The payment is called Job Seeker. If you're not seeking a job, you shouldn't be on it. Now, that's not to say that if you have a disability or you're an older worker or you have caring responsibilities that you shouldn't receive some other form of support. But quite frankly, and I have no qualms about saying this, if you are able to work, if you have no barriers to your participation in the workforce, at a time when there are labour shortages and, and very low levels of unemployment, and you choose not to participate in the workforce, I don't think, I don't think government has a responsibility to give you money because, quite frankly, there are lots of other people who 
are doing exactly the opposite. There are people who are actively looking for work, people who desperately want employment, people who want more hours, people who are looking for better jobs, people who are upskilling, people who are trying to overcome the barriers of systemic discrimination, whether it's because they're an older worker who's not able to access the pension, but who's been long-term unemployed because they were made redundant five years ago, whether they are a single parent who's desperately trying to juggle caring for their children at the same time as having enough income to make that caring actually tangible and materially real, whether they have a disability and just want to participate in the economy and earn money for themselves. There are lots of people, lots of people who are desperately trying to overcome systemic disadvantages, whether it's that they come from a family where both parents or if they've come from a single-parent family, their only parent has been unemployed for most of their life and they have the barriers that come with intergenerational poverty and intergenerational unemployment, whether they live in a remote region and unemployment is perhaps higher where they are, whether they have literacy issues, numeracy issues, whether their options for upskilling are limited because of where they live and they're not being proper investment in TAFE and other forms of training. There are many, many Australians who are every day, every day striving to overcome those challenges. And quite frankly, to have self-appointed advocates use social media platforms to attack people who are in good faith trying to remove some of those barriers for those people because many of the people who are trying to remove the barriers have themselves overcome some of them and they're not interested in seeing other people have to suffer, not interested in trying to delineate between the deserving and the undeserving the just and the unjust, the moral and the immoral, who don't see any benefit in using social media platforms to pillory and attack other people, but would rather do the work of convincing policymakers and convincing the public that policy change that has real impacts, that is nuanced, that is targeted, and yes, that fits within the budget envelope that is set by whichever level of government they happen to be working with, campaigning with, campaigning against in some cases, is actually achievable. And that if they are campaigning against a government, that they're doing that in a way that doesn't actually denigrate or turn people away from the core issues and the core elements of change that they're trying to achieve. You know, I think about this in the context of the Murdoch Empire and the Dominion saga and Murdoch having to pay out a record settlement uh, to Dominion voting machines in the US and the continued failure of Dutton to reboot the Liberal brand and the ongoing 
uh, wackadoo nature of the Murdoch media in this country, uh, let alone the US. We'll talk about the US another time, but in this country where you have Sky News just constantly, constantly attacking and the shifting nature of that attack you know, Dutton's shifting attack on the voice, for example. Uh, you know, we want to see the Solicitor General's uh, advice. Oh, not that advice, the other advice, the advice that we don't know exists or doesn't exist or whatever it is. You know, the absolute unhinged rants of Rowan Dean, the pointed attacks on individuals. Jared Henderson, for example, attacked uh, Van just yesterday in The Australian. These personalised vicious, vile attacks on individuals who are trying, who are trying to improve the material conditions and material reality for the vast majority of people who are trying themselves to improve their own material reality. These attacks don't work. Quite frankly, they don't work. Murdoch has advocated a vote for the Liberal National Coalition at every state and federal election that we've had in the last 10 years. And on the mainland of Australia, we have wall-to-wall Labor governments at state and territory level and in the Commonwealth. Despite, despite Sky News, despite The Australian, despite The Herald Sun, despite The Daily Telegraph. And, you know, there will be reform to our social wage in this country despite the self appointed advocates and their vile abuse and their vile attacks. But it does make it harder. It does make it harder. There's no question about that. You know, Murdoch's existence makes it harder to implement reform. It doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it harder. Just like when self-appointed advocates attack people who are in good faith from their own lived experience, from the research, from the economics, from the social policy, trying to improve the material circumstances of their fellow Australians, trying to improve the Commonwealth that we all share and enjoy, trying to remove the barriers for participation that people come up against through no fault of their own. And it does make you wonder where these self-appointed advocates come from. It makes you wonder what drives their passion, their vitriol against people who are doing that work. It makes me question what their motivations really are. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure they believe that swearing directly at, in some of the most vile ways, by the way, and attacking other people, individuals, directing their hatred and vile at individuals, I'm sure they believe that that's a a theory of change, that they'll achieve some kind of outcome. And it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see because this budget that's coming up in, you know, less than a few weeks, they've already indicated there'll be changes 
you know, I would imagine that we'll see utility bill relief. Uh, on Insider, that's what Jim Chalmers was talking about. We've seen reductions in the costs of medicine. We've seen uh, that they're looking at changing uh, parental payment uh, access, uh, the changing uh, rent assistance. These are some pretty big groups of people who will be impacted by this, right? Some of the 40% of people who live with a disability on JobSeeker, you would think access medications pretty regularly. That's that's a pretty big saving for them. You know, changing uh, and giving them better access to rent assistance. Well, if you're uh, living on your own or you're living in a share house, that's obviously going to have an impact as well. Uh, utilities, having direct bill relief, well, that's direct uh Cost saving right there. So be interesting to see what some of these self-appointed advocates make of this. I expect, just to be frank, dear listener, I expect that they will attack the government. Uh, they will attack people who say these are good things, and they will attack any change to job seeker that doesn't provide them with some equivalence to say the minimum wage. Because Quite frankly, all I see from these self-appointed advocates is not a desire to reform our social wage or even necessarily to improve the lot of job seekers, but is a desire to do away with the concept of job seeking full stop. Some of the comments that have been made about why are we trying to get people to engage in employment at all, reinforce my view on that. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the government has a package of reform uh, that will go some way towards addressing some of the systemic barriers faced by people who are genuinely looking for work, that will go some way towards improving the circumstances of people with a disability, um, older Australians who find themselves out of work, single parents, and that those things are welcomed and that positive advocacy about continuing to make improvements becomes the order of the day. That's my hope. If the last week is any indication, it may well be a hope in vain. But that doesn't mean that we stop trying. You know, Van stood next to Father Bob at many anti-poverty demonstrations. I worked alongside Father Bob delivering directly food relief, Christmas presents and support to some of the most disadvantaged people in our community. We ourselves have both been on different government support payments at times in our lives. We actually understand how hard it is and we understand that it's getting harder. There's no question about that. We don't deny that. But I do believe that there are some people whose approach to so-called advocacy is making the situation worse. And the poll in the age that shows less than half of Australians, not even close really to half of Australians, support an increase in job seeker of any kind, let alone the massive double-digit increases that these self-appointed advocates are demanding, but that they don't support any increase tells me that the 
negative, attack-based, vitriolic, personalised campaigns against whether they be individual ministers, whether they be people in uh, the media, whether they just be people who happen to say something on a social media platform, those attacks are not working. So hopefully we'll see a change. Look, the week coming, obviously we have Anzac Day on Tuesday. Ben and I will talk about that a little bit, I'm sure. We'll also talk about what's going on with Twitter and how that platform, uh, Elon Musk, is just all over the place. I couldn't talk about it today because I wanted to talk about what's happened in the back end of the week, but also because it's such an evolving situation. By Wednesday, hopefully, we'll have a bit more of a solid footing, but who knows? We may still be in an evolving situation, but we will talk about it. Van has a lot to say on that topic, of course. Don't forget to check out Van's uh, piece about Father Bob and what his passing means for both Catholicism and uh, just spirituality in this country. It's a very moving piece. Uh, it's been very well uh, read and received. Uh, we will send it to supporters who are on our Buy Me A Coffee page. Uh, you'll get a copy of that in the email accompanying this podcast. If you're not already a supporter, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday and you can see all the options there. The podcast will always be free to listen and download and any support that you give goes into promoting the show and building the audience uh, so that more people can get the message uh, that we have to share with you. So now I want to just very briefly say this. The Insiders today only very briefly touched on The Voice, and I think it's important that we remember that this is an ongoing campaign. The No Vote thinks it's picking up steam because it's coalescing itself around a single message. Here's a message that I think is important for those of us who want a yes vote to succeed. Isn't it about time that we recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in our constitution And isn't it only fair that when we are making laws that impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, they have a voice and a say on those laws and they get to advise governments on what those laws and programs should look like? My answer to that is yes. I hope your answer to that is yes. I hope you'll vote yes at the referendum. And until Wednesday, remember, please be kind to yourself and to each other.